Greetings, church and friends of the church. Uh, this is the scripture and the sermon from the April 10th, 2022 Palm Sunday uh, worship gathering of the Valley Forge Presbyterian community. Uh, there's actually three, three pieces of scripture um, in this episode. Uh, the messianic imagery foreshadowing of um, the Hebrew prophet Zechariah. Um, Mark's Gospels uh, telling of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, um, the day that we call now um, Palm Sunday. And then uh, a final piece from the first letter of Peter. So um, first, this uh, Hebrew uh, messianic imagery of the prophet Zechariah. Who, um, who wrote, Rejoice o, uh, greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That day... The Lord their God will save them, for they are the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. Lo, your king comes to you. In him God will save and command peace. Rejoice and shout aloud, O Jerusalem. And then from Mark's gospel. Mark writes, when they're approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and then they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And from the first letter of Peter, fifth chapter, six through 11 verses. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. 
To him be the power forever and ever. So in this episode, uh, we conclude uh, a series of reflections on this first letter of Peter, written to encourage Christians living in towns and villages um, back in the first century that were not operating by Christian norms or ethics, expectations, social structures. And we hear this final invitation. Uh, and we do so while imagining and presuming that many of these Christians in these towns and villages were feeling the same fear, anxiety, uncertainty, longing for a more joyful and peaceful world. Those same feelings that were felt by those compelled to wave their palms and to shout for Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem. So when it gets to Palm Sunday in the life of the 21st century American church, it's, it's tempting to reimagine Palm Sunday through the lens of our own life experience, which for most of us, particularly those of us who are white, is one of relative ease and privilege. Because so many of us in the 20th, 21st century America have lived these lives, which have not been perfect. They've known grief and struggle and uncertainty and pain that's common to every human life, but they've They've not been additionally burdened by the weight and threat of oppression, or war in our streets, the poverty of not knowing if and when we'll have enough to eat or a safe place to sleep. So, so because so many of us have lived these lives of relative ease and privilege, we haven't known what it is to need saving from the brokenness and the threat of our daily lives, to cry out in desperation, Hosanna, save us from the awfulness of the here and now. Because the here and now, for us, has been enough. It's been enough food, shelter, authority, opportunity, and privilege. And so the only salvation we're able to imagine needing is after and beyond the here and now. Perhaps this is why the ways that the church and the privileged, and again, primarily white parts of the world, have reduced the concept of salvation to just the heavenly ticket, where our imperfection does not disqualify us from, you know, moving on to the next round. And so when this is our lens through which we look upon Palm Sunday, Jesus' entry into the heart of the power systems and structures of human authority, we see, through our lens of privilege, the one who has already provided for the only salvation we can imagine needing, that heavenly ticket. And so our hosannas are not desperate pleas for salvation in the here and now. Rather, our hosannas, as we wave our palms, are more ecstatic and joyful, grateful praise for a saving work already done. We already have what we think Jesus has to offer us. And so we welcome him like a celebrity, praising him for what he's done for us, either ignorantly or blissfully or sinfully unaware of the desperate longings of others or mistakenly judging their longings for Jesus to offer them more here and now. So the Hebrew peoples on the side of that road to Jerusalem did not live with ease and privilege. Their nation was occupied by the Roman Empire. They were kept in places of oppression, submission, and poverty with violence, taxes, corrupted local authorities and laws. They longed to be saved from the awfulness of their here and now. And so they cried out to Jesus, Hosanna, 
save us. They were not singularly focused on whether or not they'd be allowed into heaven someday. Rather, they were desperately hopeful that God would work through the Messiah, who'd finally come after all these centuries of waiting to restore justice and peace within their earthly circumstances in their here and now. The Christian peoples in the towns of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, to whom the letter of Peter was first written, were likewise living without ease and privilege. For they too knew what it was to live under the weight of the Roman Empire's occupation. They too knew what it was to be held in places of oppression, submission, marginalization, poverty, with violence and taxes and, and the corrupting of local leaders and laws. They too longed for God to save them, not just someday at the gates of the heavenly realm, but in the here and now by restoring justice and peace. They too shouted and prayed, Hosanna, save us, not in adoring rock star Jesus for what he already did, but in desperate longing for what he might do in the here and now. The author of this letter pointed them in this direction. Cast your anxieties, your worries, your fears upon God. This is not a promise that God will magically, instantaneously change all of our circumstances so that we are suddenly in a place of nirvana perfection. Rather, it's the invitation to respond to the unavoidable anxiety and worry and fear that we experience in living imperfect lives here by turning with humility and patience to God, rather than allowing our fears to point us to something or someone else. What or who do we trust when we are anxious and afraid? Who or what do we trust to bring us salvation? Do we cast our anxieties on money, power, pleasure, weapons, politics? Will they save us? Are we screaming out, Hosanna, save us money, save us weapons, save us laws that keep people who don't think or speak or believe like us away from us, save us violence and war? Or are we screaming out for God to guide us into the salvation that we seek in here and now? The author cautions, discipline yourselves, keep alert. The devilish and the ungodly is always at work, looking for more of us to devour and take unto itself. The ways of selfishness, greed, violence, war, segregation, and exclusion are always making false promises and wanting more of us to turn to them. And so, says the author, with discipline, with humility, with faithfulness, we must resist these temptations and forces and their false promises of salvation. We must resist casting our anxieties and our fears on money, power, comfort, ease, pleasure, weapons, war, segregation, homogeneity, politics and laws that institutionalize our idolization and commitment to these ungodly and devilish things. We must be steadfast in our faith, committed to God's plan for the justice and restoration of salvation, rather than searching for the easy or selfish fix. And if that means we suffer more in pursuit of what is right 
rather than what is expedient or self-serving, then so be it. And after we've suffered and enduring patiently along the path of God's will, the author promises what we all eventually discover deep within us at some point in our lives, that only God's will and guidance can lead us together to true and shared strength, support, and restoration. Our young people, our teenagers who have just recently joined, made their commitments of membership, can name this with great spiritual maturity in the ways that bring tears to our eyes, that true living, real and good living, honest to goodness, happiness, is not found in money, power, ease, comfort, reputation, looks, success, or material stuff. Because these pursuits only reinforce the ways that we turn against, judge, antagonize, manipulate, and divide. The God of grace in calling us to live lives that embody God's will and work, embodied in the life of Christ, lives that love the outcast and love uh, the unavoidable and love the enemy, lives that seek the healing and the well-being of the other above the self, lives that do not respond to violence with retribution and more violence, lives that are willing to sacrifice and suffer in order to pursue and bring about a better and more peaceful way of being in this world together. The God of grace will be the one to restore, support, strengthen, and establish us. Money, power, reputation, or self-righteousness. Not the right beliefs or politics. Salvation comes in trusting the God of grace, casting our anxieties unto God alone, patiently living amidst the suffering and imperfection and the challenges of life as we seek to live by God's will alone and in resisting all other voices and forces who make these false promises. That personal suffering can be avoided by selfish pursuits, and that the suffering of others is their own fault and not our concern or responsibility. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he knew what he was doing. He knew this messianic imagery that Zechariah had painted centuries before. He knew what he was doing when he sent his people to get donkey colt. He knew that all of these people desperately longing for salvation in the here and now, salvation from oppression and poverty, would associate an entrance on a colt with the arrival of the Messiah, the one whose ways would lead to the restoration and justice and goodness of God's salvation. Lo, your king comes to you, and in him God will save and command peace. But then that king on a cult did not bring swift and violent or magical or easy reordering unto justice. He spoke the truth to power. He refused to do or say anything that was ungodly, and he endured the depths of suffering. What is the way to the battle bow being cut off? What is the way to peace among the nations from sea to sea? What is the way to resisting the devilish forces, laws, and leaders of the world? What is the way to the restoration, support, and strengthening that comes from God's will of salvation of all people? It's the way of Jesus of Nazareth. He set the example for us to follow. 
And in a world where we're so accustomed to instant gratification, and we're so used to leveraging every resource and technology to avoid dis-ease, discomfort, inconvenience, and most of all, suffering. His example seems ineffective, unbelievable, and anything but preferable. But God's guidance in response to our Hosanna prayers is Jesus, the one who always did what was right, loving of others, and made for more peace, even if it meant sacrifice and suffering. And so as we sit in our place of relative ease and privilege, can we move our imagination beyond our own circumstances? Can we move beyond this place where the palms in our hands are waved with joy and gratitude because of what Jesus did for us, getting us into heaven someday. Can we move beyond? Can we move beyond our nostalgic memories of palms folded in the crosses as children? Can we make room within our hearts and our spirits to hear the cries of Hosanna that are coming not from places of joy and gratitude, but instead are coming from places of injustice and desperation and anxiety. Can we hear the hosannas of the people as they welcome Jesus to Jerusalem, not with adulation like a celebrity on a parade route, but with desperate shouts and hopes that he would save them from the poverty and fear of their daily living and restore justice and integrity and goodness to their lives? Can we hear the hosannas of the people of these other towns within the empire? Can we hear the hosannas of the people of the Ukraine suffering violence at the hands of the wannabe Russian empire? Can we hear the hosannas of the millions of refugees freeing the oppressive violence of their homelands? Can we hear the hosannas of the hungry, the homeless, the poor and the desperate, the least of our sisters and brothers, some of whom live right here? right where you are, right outside your windows and doors? Can we hear the hosannas of our neighbors of color crying out to be saved from the destructive and dehumanizing racism that's baked into every layer of our society? Can we hear the hosannas of our LGBTQ neighbors crying out to be saved from vilification and marginalization? Can we hear the cries the hosannas of our female neighbors, crying out to be saved from the violence and relegation of the patriarchy. So many are longing for a salvation that is so much more than a heavenly ticket someday. They are longing to be supported and strengthened and restored in the here and now. This is not only their desire and desperation, but this is also God's will in the reconciliation of all things under God's design of peace. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, God's salvation in the here and now is ours to work out together. So with Hosanna's surroundings, we are not to sit back and wait for God to do all the work. God offers the way, the guidance, the encouragement, and the love. But the work is ours to do. And as we wave our palms for the one who's come in the name of the Lord, we aren't just those who remain on the sideline waiting for Jesus to do something for us. We hear his invitation 
to set down our palms and to take up our cross instead, to follow him and to join him in his work. With God's help, may it be so. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who's come in the name of God. Take care. Be well. Peace to all.